The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, The Craft House Brewery, now with two locations. The Tone Factory Recording Studio. Moonshot.com t-shirt designs. Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. Welcome, everybody. Dee Dee Pfeiffer was known for a while for playing Sybil Shepard's daughter, Rachel, on the sitcom Sybil. Did you know that? In the mid-90s. And then she went on to uh, the sitcom For Your Love. She had a great scene with Michael Douglas in the film Falling Down. And then she decided to walk away from acting and eventually would get her master's degree in social work. But her brother-in-law, who just happens to be the brilliant producer David E. Kelly, said that he had a great role for her on a series that he was developing called Big Sky. And of course, she jumped at the chance. I wanted to ask Dee Dee about season two of this huge show, her past sitcom guest appearances, along with the fact that she dated that guy, George Clooney. And now while she is shooting Big Sky in New Mexico, and the phone connection is pretty bad, let's just see how this goes. Welcome back to the show. How have you been the last few months? Because Big Sky was really, in my opinion, kind of the the big surprise hit drama of the season, don't you think? So you were kind of in this whirlwind. Yes. I mean, you mean the first season? Yeah. Oh, I'm still in a whirlwind. I'm always... Uh, in a genre and in a time where things come and go fast, the fact that we're, we we became as successful as we did the first, and then to be able to have the opportunity to come back a second season and try it again is uh, amazing to me. And um, I don't take it lightly because I know, um, it, uh, you know, blink of an eye, we could be gone, you know, we could be canceled. That's just unfortunately the way it is, right? There's a lot of things out there right now with cable and Netflix and everything you know so we found a place we found a home for now so it's such a great show and um yeah tv seems to be the place to be now and you but you're right there are a lot of uh different choices that we can make since the first season i believe you changed locations once or twice uh we have the best story ever <laughs> we're like little gypsies we started in new mexico we were here i think barely a week got some pre-production done there was one, like one video scene that was done with Jerry. I ran home for a minute to settle my boys in because my character didn't film for another couple weeks. And at the same time, we were hearing about this thing called the pandemic and this thing called COVID and the coronavirus. And we were all like, ah, they're all just being all crazy. Who knows what they're talking about? Long story short, by the time I got home, the production's like, we need you to turn back around and come back. When I got home, they said, oh, wait. And then, like, a, a minute later, everybody was sent home. The, and the country was shut down. So um, then we waited, just like the whole country. We waited and we waited. And then we got the call, thank God, saying we are going to come back, but we're going to uh, relocate to Canada. Because at that time, their numbers were really low. And the, in the States, they were all kind of going crazy at that time. Right. So we, that's how we landed there, right? Um, and then we... Now for the second season, so there you go. <laughs> Back in New Mexico, uh, it's kind of yeah. similar climate to here in Las Vegas, I believe. So, how did you deal with the summer there? Um, well, you know, it's warm, it's dry. Um, yeah, yeah. The altitude was a kicker. Like you know, just walking across the room, I was like, "Why am I winded? Oh my god, I must have floated." <laughs> well, I didn't get tested three times a week, which we all do. 
Um, I would say I had COVID because that's one of those symptoms. But I know I don't have COVID because we get tested three times a week. Yeah. So the elevation is challenging and the dry heat is challenging. Um, I noticed my skin immediately started to uh, uh, I need moisture. Um, you just the elements are harder on people like me of the older population. Yeah. Yes. Moist moisture. Always looking for moisture. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, by the way, I love the pictures of your cockatoo on Instagram. I do interviews with her all the time. And how is she during during interviews? Um, she's hysterical. Actually, I just went yesterday with her, and I had to wear Air- my son's AirPods, those white things. Ears. I've never. Yeah. Yeah. You two. There. Now you're back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, remember, I'm on mountain time over here, and I'm in a mountain, so. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I know. I know what that's like. Uh, I feel like I really, you're such an approachable person. The last time we talked about your 10-year break from acting and raising two sons and going to school and getting a master's degree and the whole thing, don't you think that would make an interesting TV series or film? Well, yeah, you got to throw in that I took a year off uh, Um, you're You're kind of breaking up again. I don't know if there's... A location that you can go where you're outside or, or what? Let's try this. Well, because the thing is, is that this, I'm not sure where else I can go. Let's see. I'm going to go outside. Let's see that. Okay. Is this any better? Uh, we'll see. I could hear you. <laughs> Here we go. Hold on. Okay. How's that? Is that better? It seems okay. Okay, cool. I'm in the backyard in a hammock. Okay. (laughs) We were saying that your life in and of itself would make an interesting TV series or film, don't you think? Yeah, and I was saying that someone's probably going to listen to one of my many, many interviews and my life's journey, and they'll write that series, and hopefully they'll cast me in it. (laughs) Right. Who better to play you? Than me. There you go. (laughs) So I remember watching, I I saw a scene recently with with you and Michael Douglas and falling down, and the thing that I I saw the second time around in, in the scene was the hat you wore in the fast food restaurant, which was this hamburger hat. Now, is that something that you would take home with you uh, from the set? (laughs) No. As a matter of fact, I'll never (laughs) forget. I'll never forget when I finally got a a gig with Michael Douglas, Joel Schumacher, you know, directing. And I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. And then I went to the wardrobe fitting and they put this hammer on my head and I was like, oh my God, are you joking me, right? And they're like, no, you're Sheila Whammy at the Whammy Burger. And I had this little <laughs> bouncing hamburger on my chest saying, hi, I'm Sheila. And I thought, I'm going to do a scene with Michael Douglas finally in my career and I got a hammer on my head. Well, this is where my acting chops had to come in. I had to really play Sheila. I just used the costume, you know, like she just thought that her co- the costume was just stupid and that she's never going to find Clyde because she thought she was Bonnie. You know, she's never going to find her Clyde with a hammer on her head. And then Michael Douglas comes in, and that's where the scene starts for, for my character anyways. Right. Um, but but no, it turned out, honestly, the hamburger on the head turned out to be something I end up having to use um, in, with, within my character to give me a little more attitude. And it worked great, actually. Um, but no, I did not get to take the hamburger home. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably the last thing you wanted to do, right? Just burn that thing. Um. It was actually such a magical day working with Joel Schumacher and, and Michael Douglas and everybody in the scene, actually. It was such a magical scene that it, I probably would have kept the uh, hamburger, although I lose things, so I probably would have lost it along the way. Or maybe I'd give it to somebody because they said, oh, I really like that. 
Um, <laughs> no, I give things away all the time. <laughs> and you know what? I hear people talking about Joel Schumacher all the time about how wonderful he was to work with. Amazing man. Here's, here's Joel. I'm doing the scene. I first started doing the scene. I never read for this role. He gave it to me because I read for a different role um, called on Malibu 2000, I think it was called, something like that. And he ended up getting Drew Barrymore for that, but then said, I really like you. So I'm going to give you this role in this film I'm doing, which was fantastic for me. And he said, I just have a feeling you're going to do something really awesome with this role. So he had no idea what I was going to do with this Sheila from Wyoming Burger. There was nothing written, just the dialogue. So that's when I came up with the Bonnie and Clyde thing and, and all that. And so <laughs> there's a part of the scene that we had to cut out because we literally filmed. It was probably a month, not even after the riots. And where we filmed downtown was right around where everything's burnt down. Right. So there was this sadness going on, the sadness in the air. And the film felt it, which is interesting because falling down was actually a lot about what the riots were about. So it was almost like the timing was just really, uh, uh, is delicate timing. But in the scene originally, when he pulls out the gun, everybody, including Sheila, hits the ground. And my character yells, he's got a gun, right? But considering I'm playing Bonnie because she Sheila thought she was Bonnie and she's waiting for Clyde to walk in. Of course, Clyde pulls out a gun. So I yell, oh, and he's got a gun. <laughs> like really. And I went over the counter towards him where everyone else hit the ground. Joel, Joel Schumer gets up and starts laughing and clapping hysterically during the scene. He had, did not see that coming. And even Michael Douglas looked at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> but he was so great because it really showed who she was, you know? Um, and he loved it, loved it. And Michael Douglas loved it, the whole thing. Unfortunately, the tone of the film was uh, dark. Yeah. On, on top of the fact that we had just um, gone through the riots. So it just didn't feel right to leave it, that in. Yeah, the film took a different tone because of the riots. But I know that you have a way of working out scenes. I've read this about you, that you've done this uh, in different situations like that, so it shouldn't surprise me. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm an out-of-the-box person. Um, I'm always kind of like a circle being shoved in a square or vice versa. So I, when I get my characters, I um, try to paint them with all sorts of idiosyncrasies. So I think people who are textured or really interesting um, I, it's like someone said forget your gift of perfection it's the cracks where the light gets through i love that like everybody is cracked a little bit you know everyone's off a little bit and to me that that's what makes people individuals and i love that that is so, so great bring, right you know what i mean like who wants perfection that's boring you're boring you know it's like i like either secrecy so i try hard to make sure my characters have lots of colors and cracks so the light can get through. <laughs> right, right. Well, and you know, the these even these smaller scenes you you seem to stand out. I mean, I remember the Seinfeld appearance that you did. It was the one I think that where George was doing opposite day and he said yep. he inter introduced himself to you and said I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. You know, that's another funny story because I had read for Seinfeld a few times. And never got the role. And I got called back and called back and the whole thing. And I said, when I got called in for that, I said to my agent, why do they keep torturing? They're not going to, they, they keep calling me, but they never pick me. You know, so why bother going in? He said, well, I'll tell you, you're getting close. 
they really like you. They keep calling you and they just can't find the right role for you. So I was like, okay, fine. So I went in and I read and then I got it. And I was like, oh my God. You know, and I didn't realize, I don't think until many years later, how awesome that role really was because it was so pivotal for his character that he got the girl, he got the job. It like everything happens to him. Good. And then everything foul happens to um, (laughs) Elaine. Right. (laughs) And how fun and monumental that is in that show for that character. And I got to be part of that. And that's really special. So all the other times I didn't get the roles. See, it goes to show you there's a reason why things happen the way they do. And my friend, my, my friend always says to me, patience, grasshopper, because I'm not the most patient person. She's always like, patience, grasshopper. And I'm like, oh, shut up. But she's right. <laughs> you know? She's right. Like, if this didn't, something doesn't work out, it may not make sense in the moment. It actually doesn't make sense in the moment, but you got to just wait it out. And then you'll look back and go, oh, okay. The universe had a different path for me, a different journey. And had I got that or had that happened or what have you, you know? Your life would literally, the trajectory of your life would be different, right? Because that's just the way it is. It just changes from there. On Big Sky, you portray Denise Brisbane, who works for the investigative firm. Is this role something where your personality is sort of the most like you? Do you know what I mean? That the yes. per, that person you're playing there. Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, what well, Big Sky, Denise Brisbane is the one character that's the most like me for sure hands down and it's been so fun playing her every day is so fun playing her um because she is so similar to me she's different in the sense we found out this this season that she carries a glock i'm not a gun gal myself i'm a i have a rottweiler i don't need a gun (laughs) we find out that denise carries a glock and i'm like oh okay there's information i didn't know but i love that she's like this really cool collected kind of rock you know, she's every, she's like the center, you know, and uh, she's the consistent character in the piece. And here's in this one scene. I just go, oh, yeah, I can't. I'm a Glock girl. <laughs> like, oh, <okay. laughs> I could see Denise going out in the field with the girls, couldn't you, eventually, and kicking some well, ass? It's interesting because a lot of people say that. A lot of my followers, a lot of people are like, we need Denise, you know, get out. And I... There was a moment where I was like, hey, wait a minute, Denise ever going to leave Doolin Hoyt? But then again, there's something really special about the fact that we don't really know a lot about Denise. She's consistent. She's a smart ass, always in every scene, which is awesome. The writers love to write her lines that I just gobble up, you know. Um, so she is a little bit of that fresh air, kind of take a breath during Big Sky because it is such a emotionally charged um fast-paced show takes you on such a wild ride that you get to calm down for a moment when you go into the office where Denise is at. Um, so there's a lot of room for them to kind of take Denise wherever they want. Um, and the fact that I'm kind of like mellow jello and just kind of there, but not <laughs> in, in all of it to me is exciting because who knows on big sky, what Denise will do one day, right? Think about it, right? It's endless. They could, you know, who knows? The first season, Denise was too solely sketchy and in on it. <laughs> I was just going to say that. You seem too nice and perfect to be somebody who we could actually trust. It's terrible, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> well, no, my best friend, Carla, is literally, I've known her for like, uh, like 30 plus years. She's like, I know Denise is in on it. I'm like, Carla, I'm trying to tell you, 
So far, everything I know, she's not. And she's like, you're lying. You are lying. I'm telling you, Denise is in on it. And then I thought, you know, maybe I am. And I just don't know yet. I haven't gotten that script yet. <laughs> Have you shot all of the episodes for this, for season two? No, we're about halfway through. Right? About halfway about through. Halfway. Okay. And how, what is the, uh, when do you get a script? I mean, how soon before you start shooting, before you get the script for that particular shoot? Uh, usually about a week-ish. Sometimes a little sooner, sometimes a little later depending on what's going on. Cause sometimes we have to go back and reshoot things or add scenes to scenes we've already done. Cause once they put it together in the editing room, they look at it and they go, Ooh, ooh we need something here and there. So they'll slip scenes into the next week. Even though we start the next episode, we'll be adding scenes to the last episode or reshooting things. Um, that happened the first season so far. Yeah. We had some hiccups here when we first started. So we've had to do some reshoots. Um, so I would say about a week, a week before you. Can you episode. tell me? It changes. It changes too, by the way. Yeah, I it's understand that. I I, oh, I yeah. witnessed it. What can you mm-hmm. tell me, if anything, about the upcoming season? Because I got to tell you, the Klein Saucer family is a tough act to follow. Well, you just wait. In the genre of Big Sky, we're going to take you on a road, and then we're going to then an, another story will intersect that, and we're going to take you <laughs> left, and then another story will intersect that and take you back right. We got Ronald and Scarlett out there, okay? And Jerry is still out to get them. And Kathy now is obsessed with getting them. Jenny um, changes a bit after her ordeal hasn't been shot. Then, and there's maybe a love interest coming on in her arena. Maybe one for Jerry. Maybe one for Kathy. Um, we have um, Lindor, who's this fantastic character. We're not quite sure what's up with him, the marshal. Um, we have another character coming back. John, um, John Carroll Lynch is coming back, but not as Lagarski because he's dead. But he's coming back. Wait That's a minute. All I can say about that. He's yeah, coming back. Yes, but <laughs> okay. not as Lagarski. And that's all I can tell you. But wait till you see how he comes back. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> and then we have a bunch of kids. We have a bunch of kids this season who get into a lot of trouble because that's what kids do. They're out messing around doing stuff they're not supposed to. Run into some some other person's drugs, money, and that whole thing. And they do what kids do, which is put grab it and, you know, stupid kid stuff. And that gets them into a lot of dangerous trouble. And then that bleeds into some new characters like Ren, who is amazing and very sexy and scary. Another badass woman on this show. Um, she's sexy as hell. And, oh, she's dangerous. Yeah, she's going she's gonna to come in and shake stuff up. Um, there's so much going on. How many books are there? How many Big Sky books are there? Well, Big Sky is one of CJ Box's um, multiple uh, books. Oh, gosh, that's a good question. You caught me. There are several. I, I, I know that. Yeah, you've got quite a few bestsellers, yeah. You very openly have talked about your sobriety, and you use your platform to help people who are struggling all the time, and I'm, I've always yeah. wondered, how important was it for you to get away from the business for your own recovery's sake? Well, that's what's crazy. I took my addiction with me into school when I went to school for those 10 years. It wasn't until um, the year before I graduated, I took a year off to get sober. It all just uh, it all just came full force, and I was exhausted from hiding. I was exhausted from pretending I you know, uh, could handle it, and I couldn't. You know, and I finally reached out for help three years ago. So when I left, I carried my uh, 
my addiction with me. Oh, absolutely. Late night studying, writing papers, you know, was drinking the whole time, um, sadly. But it was my became my best friend, as a lot of addicts will. They know what I'm talking about. Just like your cigarettes, your best friend, because I had to quit that, too. <laughs> I lost a lot of best friends, but you know what I gained in recovery? Some amazing friends that will be with me for life, because they get me. They're also in recovery for heroin, meth, sex addict, food addict, gambling addict, alcohol, you name it. And I went to rehab with all of them. Isn't one of the toughest things, Dee Dee, is to ask for help? Yes, because you feel like a failure. For me, I felt like a failure. And what I don't think people realize is is that those of us that are in our disease at the time, which means actively using, right, whatever your drug of choice is, is that you're riddled with shame. And they don't, we don't talk about that enough. Shame will kneecap anybody, right? Shame is a pretty ugly emotion. It's pretty powerful. And one's addict uses shame to keep you active in your disease. And there's this feeling of never being able to address or lean into your shame or live with your shame. Because once you're sober or not using all those feelings and often a lot of trauma comes up that was never addressed as a child. Lots of trauma, lots of stuff, even as an adult, right? So not only do you have to then address all the things that come up that you've been running from and hiding from when you're using, but often because trauma and addiction, they love each other. They're like peanut butter and jelly. They go along really well. If unless you deal with the trauma and treat the trauma, your addiction is just going to, you're going to be on a roller coaster. You're going to relapse after relapse after relapse because you're not dealing at, to the root of why you're using. You know, there's the addictive personality, but you throw that in with untreated trauma. And that's a dangerous combination. It's very hard to get out of it because then all the stuff, all the feelings of trauma come up. It's a lot to deal with. Anybody in recovery I take my hat off to you because I get it every day um, is a big day for anybody in recovery. Or even if you go one day without using, hey, man, awesome. That's one day, man. Be proud of that one day, right? Your being such a high-profile person and knowing what you know and social work and recovery and everything else, I know you've talked about marrying those things. Would you ever consider developing a talk show where you could help people just like this? Funny you mentioned that. I'm actually, the balls are kind of rolling in that direction that I, nice. when I went to, yeah, when I went to school and especially when I got to my master's program, I started to look at what a lot of these social workers were doing all these different things with their degrees. There's so many things because the so, people don't realize this, but the social worker degree, at least at UCLA, is very multifaceted. We learn a lot of things, macro, meso, micro. We, we look at things from all different lenses and all different perspectives, every situation and we work with all different kinds of people um, not just children normally you think social worker children that's one of the many facets and, and populations that we work with so i when i got into it uh, my area of concentration was substance use and mental health and those experiencing homelessness and it started to bleed into other areas where i was just so consumed with wanting to pass this knowledge on to other people but on a large scale versus one-on-one clinical you know and I didn't know how I was going to do that. And when I got Big Sky, which came out of nowhere, fell from the sky, literally, um, and a lifeline, I might add, i now going, hey, I know, I know how to pull them together now. I know how to reach people using my platform. And I'm, I do it in my interviews. And I am trying to pull together some kind of a talk show platform that's never been done before. 
because I haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you and, and your co- your uh, sidekick, the cockatoo. I got to tell you, Sammy, <laughs> she's all over it. She's like, let's go. She just makes sure we have her peanut pretzels and her coffee. And she's, she's, yeah, she's, she's cheap. She's cheap, that one. No you, contracts, nothing. She's, yeah. You, uh, you know, you mentioned it. Uh, your brother-in-law, David E. Kelly, asked you to join the show or, or think about it. It's a case of you really never talked shop with him previously, so it was kind of a shocker, wasn't it? It was absolutely. I don't, I don't know. I was interning at the Department of Mental Health up north, <laughs> uh, finishing up my my second. I was just starting my second year of my internship and my last year at UCLA, and he just texted me out of nowhere, out of nowhere. And said, hey, I have this show, and I want to know, I have this great role, it's perfect for you, are you still acting? And at that moment, I didn't know what I was going to do, because I wasn't quite sure how I was going to support my two boys on a social worker's salary, which is not a lot in L.A. at all to survive on. And I wasn't sure how I was going to bleed my past career as an actor into my, my degrees and all that. I didn't know how I was doing any of this. I just knew I had something I needed to give. And I didn't know how it was going to work. And when he called out of nowhere, of course, I was like, uh, yes, yes, and yeah. yes, 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 yes. Um, and then I called my sister. I'm like, David, I think David offered me a role. And she's like, he did. And I go, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he threw me a lifeline. He literally threw me a lifeline. And he had no idea he was doing that. And that's, it's just, I love the way, like, sometimes Mother Earth and energy shift. So, you know, it. it you can allow things to happen. And I don't, I really, truly believe in my heart. If I wasn't at that point, what was that? One year sober, two years sober. Um, and really looking at life with a different lens. I, I don't, I'm not sure if it would have happened. Maybe it would have happened. I don't know. We didn't talk about it last time before I let you go. George Clooney. So yeah, <laughs> uh, you dated him. Was he, was he doing ER at the time that you two were dating? Before. George and I go way back. Yeah, um, I met George. I met George before he was George, you know, way back when he was still running around, putting up bunk beds in audition rooms. <laughs> he was a great, that guy was he would do anything like for a role, like literally bring in like a bunk bed. I remember one time I was like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Um, but we did a lot of crazy stuff back then. I mean, you could bring a lot of props and stuff into the room and. And now you could never do that to interview. Um, but he was running around. I was running around. Um, I met him through my sister's friend. He was studying at her playhouse, Milton Costellas, I think it was. And um, he, she was just like, oh, I want to meet this guy in George. He's gorgeous, George. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then she had a party. <laughs> and then he came. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's hot. Yep, yep, he's hot. And um, <laughs> That'll work. Kidding. Yeah, that'll work. That works. So he and I just were young and, you know, kind of young and dumb and cute, a lot younger, and just running around Hollywood trying to get a job. You know, he was trying to do features, I think, at that point. And I was trying to do TV because he was richer than rich because he was doing a ton of pilots. They were, he made a lot of money, but, he, but they never went to air. And then I was doing all these independent films that didn't pay me anything, but they were in, but they were films. So he wanted what I had, and I, and I wanted what he had. I wanted more cash. He wanted the features, but we ran around, and um, to this day, we're, I'd consider us still friends. Now, mind you, the man is married and has kids, so I haven't spoken to him since he's been married. But um, I, when I do speak to him, I'm just going to laugh so hard because he was always like, I'll never get married. I'll never have kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> What did your family, your sisters, what did everybody think of him? Oh, my <laughs> oh, my mom and dad adored him. They thought it was really sweet. And 
he did come down. I think he came down Orange County once. Yeah. Uh, Shell thought he was sketchy because when he pulled up, he had rivets in the side of his broken down car. And she thought they were bullets. So when I said, oh, <laughs> see him, like, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's cute, whatever. What's up with the bullet holes in the side of his car? So what are you talking about? So I said, George, my sister thinks that you're like a gangster or something. <laughs> no, she didn't say gangster. Um, <laughs> but she just said, what's up? I think he's a little sketchy. And she's like, uh, this is the side panel fell off his car or something. So the, there was like holes and it did look like now I thinking back it did look like bullets. Right. And so at first she at first she was not so sure. Jury was out. To this day, he still thinks my little sister Lori hates him. And <laughs> it's not it Lori is like, oh, I never hated George. But he loves to say, Yeah, Lori hates me. And we're like, George, Lori's never ever said anything about not not liking you. That is all in your head. That is all in your head, dude. Um, probably because she's really shy. She just gets really shy. He's yeah. some good looking guys. Yeah. So, um, yeah, George is, um, he's, he's a great guy. Oh my God. Like when, when you see him on interviews and you see like a real person, that's him. Yeah. He's just the George. best. Uh, yeah, so yeah. big sky season two, we've got yeah. several episodes. You're about halfway through shooting mm-hmm. it. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's one of the best shows on television right now, that's for sure. Also, check out uh, Dee Dee's Cockatoo on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> see, it does sound dirty, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, she's a very dirty bird because she's always got coffee all over her beaks. I'm always feeding her food she's not supposed to have. <laughs> <laughs> like coffee, just what she needs. Yeah. Uh, it's Dee Dee. It's Dee Dee Pfeiffer. It's always fun to catch up with you. Good luck with this new season. And let us know about this uh, possible talk show. It'd be great. I will. Are you kidding me? My publicist, Turkey, will absolutely get you on the horn and we'll do some more press on that when I get that rolling. For sure. That's great. Take care of yourself and good luck with the new season. Great talking to you. Thank you. You too. Have a beautiful day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Big Sky aired its first episode of season two and there is already insanity happening, including the return of what we thought was a dead character played by John Carroll Lynch, which is kind of where they left us hanging. I did see in the trailer that Meadow Soprano, Jamie Lynn Sigler, will be in future episodes. Big Sky on Thursday nights on ABC. That ends our fun visit with Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 